0: I think self-awareness and uh, being very honest with yourself is like the basic thing in order to make sure that you build the right team. This feeling of building something new, a new team with a new culture is just something that I-, I feel doesn't get better than that. There's a saying that we-, we keep using internally here, if the value isn't clear, the price will always be too high.
1: From GGV, this is founder RealTalk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon. Without further ado, here's today's episode. On today's episode of Founder Real Talk, I'm joined by my colleague, Oren Younger. Hey, Oren. Hey, Glenn. We're very excited to welcome Matan Barr to the show. Matan's the co-founder and CEO of Milio, a B2B online payment service that provides small businesses with a more streamlined way to manage their payments, allowing them to save both time and resources. Before Milio, small businesses were still using the archaic method of sending checks to vendors at a very slow pace. And I'm certainly guilty of that myself. Focusing on companies that may not have a finance department, Milio allows them to pay electronically, just like the consumer world. Before starting Milio in 2018, Matan was the co-founder and chief product officer of the Project. After an acquisition by eBay, he acted as head of product and GM of their Israeli Innovation Center for three and a half years before moving on as the director of P2P payments at PayPal. So he's got a lot of experience in the space. Milio has been seeing a lot of growth in the early days and has skyrocketed to success at the onset of the pandemic, raising over $500 million and has a $4 billion valuation in mid-2021. Today, we're going to talk to Matan about why so many small businesses haven't modernized and how Milio helps to keep them in business. Matan, thanks for joining us and welcome to Founder Real Talk.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: Great. So looking at everything that led you to Milio, you seem to have carved a pretty clear path working at PayPal, eBay, and you even started a bookkeeping company in New York as sort of market preparation for starting Milio. You also co-founded your first startup in your 20s. Pretty incredible. What was going on during the time frame that you've been working at all these great companies uh, that sparked you to become an entrepreneur again?
0: Thanks for asking. And this is actually something that I've been asking myself during the time I was at eBay and PayPal, whether I should continue to work at PayPal, which I loved and still love as a company, as a culture, or just starting something new and, and another zero to one. And I think uh, there were a few main guidelines that I believe led me to start Milio. The first thing was I really understood the importance of money and financial services to both consumers and small businesses during my time at PayPal. It's unbelievable the impact that financial services can have or new fintech services could have on people's lives, creating more financial inclusion and just democratization of different financial services that are far from being accessible to different types of populations. And during my time at PayPal, we've built different products that made money better, whether it's making it faster when a family wants to transfer part of their monthly salary to their family abroad, or whether it's just paying back for coffee with day-to-day use cases, making money better, which means most of the time cheaper, more accessible, faster, is something that changes people's lives. I always knew that when I decided to leave PayPal, I would want to stick to fintech because the impact there is clear and there's so much to do. So that was one guideline. The second thing that led me to leave PayPal and and start Emilio is that I really missed the zero to one. During my time at PayPal, we built some really incredible products like the PayPal app and PayPal.me. These are different products that facilitate different P2P use cases. But for me, doing zero to one is not just building a product from zero, it's actually building a culture from zero, building a team from zero, finding a new office for the first time. Like There's so much rewarding elements of doing something that is truly zero to one across many levels, product being one of them, that I really wanted to do in terms of my personal life. So I guess to summarize it, It was both the impact that I wanted to have through the things that I've learned at PayPal at eBay, and also just this feeling of building something new. A new team with a new culture is just something that I feel doesn't get better than that.
1: Okay, so you love the domain and you saw opportunity to continue to innovate, and you love the zero to one. Wanted to get back to that, but you decided to focus on small business. What was it maybe that you saw, and how did you gain conviction? that this was the area you wanted to go after? And maybe tell us a little bit about what life was like for small business pre-Milio and, and now what, what it's like today. Sure.
0: Coming from the world of Venmo and Square Cash and PayPal P2P, where this is a space, uh, person-to-person payments, that has been fully digitized by now, especially in the U.S., but around the world. When you pay back for coffee in the U.S., let's say, you either use Zelle, Square Cash, Venmo, the PayPal app, etc. I assumed that when a small business pays another business, there would probably be something like Venmo that enable these small business owners to do that. For example, when a restaurant is paying a coffee bean supplier or when a legal firm is paying a catering service, I assumed that there was like a Venmo for B2B. But I was really surprised to discover that it wasn't the case and that at the time, there were more. when we started the company, there were more than $15 trillion dollars of paper checks that are being transferred every year just in the U.S. between businesses, meaning paper checks is it was and still is a dominant payment method in the B2B world. And if it's not paper checks, it's usually the bank's bill pay, which is a relatively, I would say, simple, many times archaic experience to move money from point A to point B but it obviously doesn't support all these specific business needs around accounting software sync and bill capture and approval workflows, all the things that make a B2B payment more than just a payment. A B2B payment is actually a workflow. And so the bank's bill pay was too simple. Venmo was too simple. Paper checks sound very efficient. And so I was wondering how come small businesses aren't using digital solutions like Avid Exchange and Tipalti and Bill.com. And these are very successful companies that built very successful accounts payable products. And we quickly realized that these accounts payable automation solutions that exist out there that are the main tool to help make the vendor payment digital and more efficient, these tools are mostly designed for larger businesses, larger businesses with finance teams. And so they talk in a more accounting oriented language. They focus on functionality like approval workflows between departments. However, A wine shop owner doesn't have departments. A wine shop owner doesn't have a finance team. And so we realize that there's a real gap between the Venmos of the world and Avid exchanges of the world, the accounts payable automation solutions. You know, we always joke about it that even the name of the category, accounts payable automation solutions, it's an overwhelming name for a small business owner. All the small business owner wants to do is to make payments to their suppliers that support their business an accounts payable automation solution. like I think that the category name indicates maybe the opportunity to build something much simpler. That an owner operator, a restaurant owner, or an office admin of a dentist can use without too much accounting experience and make the supplier payment for their business. So this gap between P2P and these more robust accounts payable automation solutions made us feel that there's a big opportunity there to build an experience that is tailored for the small business owner operator that is maybe as simple as Venmo, but does address critical business needs like these bigger, fancier accounts payable solutions. I'll say one more thing and then I'll pause. But in order to validate our assumptions, we actually formed a bookkeeping firm in New York. And we didn't know much about B2B payments and vendor payments. and it took us time to build the first product because we had to sign different bank partnerships and processor partnerships and recruit uh, the first engineers. It takes time to do this zero to 0.01. And in order to try and make sure that we expedite or accelerate our understanding of the market, we actually went ahead and opened a bookkeeping firm in New York with uh, one person at first. Her name is Dathna. Dathna was our bookkeeper as a service. And Dathna, that's at a WeWork location in Manhattan. She served 10 small businesses for four months where we would do all the bookkeeping and payable services for the business. We did it all through WhatsApp and iMessage so that, for example, a juice place in New Jersey called Juice Organic, they would upload an invoice through WhatsApp, tell us when to pay, how to pay, and then Daphna would update manually their QuickBooks, mail the check for them. So everything was super manual, but it got us to truly understand the nuances and the details of what it means to make a payment to a supplier. And that really shortened the path to get to an accurate product very fast.
2: That's awesome. I think it's a great segue. We often talk with founders and we know that market and vision are super important, but at the end of the day, it's all about the people. And you didn't start this journey alone and you actually did a fantastic job hiring people like Dafna and other people. To help you grow Emilio, could you tell us a little bit about your co-founders, how you've influenced each other to where you are today, but also people that you've hired along the way and challenges that you've had
0: to overcome? Of course. So when you're starting a company, I guess, in general, picking partners, to my opinion, and maybe to many people's opinions, should be based around shared values, like even before skills and capabilities and experience... I think shared values is a very important element of any any partnership, whether it's marriage or co-founding a company together. When having shared values, life is easier usually. And so when we decided to work together, me and my two uh, co-founders, Ziv and Ilan, we decided to work together before we knew exactly what we're going to do. We knew it's going to be in tech but we didn't know exactly what would be the concept. We, it was before we focused on B2B even, but we knew that we can work well together and that we'll have fun along the way. Have fun meaning just connect with one another on a personal level, but also know how to disagree, know how to debate. Like we really saw that we know how to make decisions together and there was a click from, from day one really. Well, the co-founders piece, in terms of management, that's a different story Milio is still a very young company. Since raising our seed round to today, it's been around four years. We grew our team just in the past year from 130 people to 470 people. Most of the people in this company are new. And I think when scaling so fast, hiring the right leaders is actually 99% of the work. And when I say hiring the right leaders is... When you scale teams so fast, like growing a team from one to 10, one to 50, when you have a great leader, everything is super smooth. When you're hiring a not so great leader, then you have more challenges. Uh, That's obvious, but it's very much true. So we made sure that we hire leaders that, again, have shared values and can really make sure that we're consistent with our culture across our three sites, Denver, New York, and Tel Aviv. And able to scale responsibly as as a team, and maintaining this essence that we had in the beginning.
2: Makes sense. Hire uh, great people and hire great leaders. That's great advice. I want to switch gears for a second and touch on on fundraising. So you launched million in, in 2018, and you've been able to rally great number of investors, raise over 500 million dollars last, putting your company valuation at four billion dollars, which is which is remarkable to a company in any any stage, especially a company that is less than four years old, so congrats. You also mentioned in the past that you are not focused on valuations and in fact chose the lower price term sheets uh, throughout your financing rounds. Could you tell us why is that and
0: was it the right decision in retrospect? The way you describe it is very accurate. I think for us, the price is not the consideration, it's a consideration. And I think I would recommend uh, this approach to any entrepreneur at any phase Because when you're building a company, especially a startup with VC funding, you're building for the long term. You're building something for tens of years. When you're building something like that, the key thing is to pick the right people that will be with you along the way. And investors, like co-founders, are people that are part of your journey from day-to-day invest, sometimes before and to forever, really. And so our investors are people that we like working with and they have diverse backgrounds and there's diverse of opinions. And we just get along as well on a personal level because our day-to-day, to me, is very important to make sure that I work with people that I like and respect. And so what happened in every round, since our seed round to our last round, around D, in every round we, we had an offer that was for a higher valuation sometimes 50% higher sometimes 30% higher from the offer that we actually took and we didn't take the highest valuation not because we didn't care about price we obviously it is a consideration but because we make sure that we prioritize person the partner that will work with us in this journey and the focus is actually on the partner himself or herself before the firm, because that's the person that at the end of the day will be part of our board of directors that meet on a regular basis. And we want to make sure that we have great people around the table that can actually provide real added value and different than the other investors that we have. So that there's no like one big sounding board for any opinion. And we put a lot of emphasis on that. And that's why... It happened that in every round, really, we didn't pick the highest offer. We always pick the best person, and it's definitely proving itself every day. I feel very lucky and very grateful that these firms and partners at these firms like Bet or Milio, and we're trying to return by creating a really great company that has positioned to a really great business. So that's our side of the story.
1: It makes a lot of sense. Thanks. That is a really thoughtful long-term approach to building both your team and, and your your board. So kudos to you. We wanted to touch a little bit. You talked about shared values and the importance of bringing that together into a culture that has allowed you to succeed. And obviously, you've grown incredibly quickly over the past couple of years, maybe even spurred on by the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about what that's been like, how you've been able to keep everybody rowing in the same direction? and keep the wheels of the bus on the road, so to speak, given how fast you've been growing? And if it's been culture or hiring great leaders, like what's been the secret of the success to keep you guys continuing to execute in a growth phase that's been astronomic?
0: I think the past two years, or I would say since March of 2020, we thought that Milio would go in a very negative direction, if I need to be completely transparent, because the pandemic, affected so many small business owners in a very negative way. Many of our customers closed shop. Like we called them and said, hey, why aren't you paying suppliers? And the answer was, I closed my business because of the pandemic. So it was pretty devastating for many industries, of course, and many of our customers. We didn't have a lot of customers back then. Like today, we grew a, a lot more since then, but it didn't look good. And I could not expect that there would be another implication of the pandemic where the businesses, the small businesses that did survive and were able to keep their shop open, actually transitioned to digital at an accelerated pace. And that's not a story that is unique to Milio. Every digital payments company or e-commerce player during the past two years saw incredible growth as businesses that were able to operate during the pandemic, move their business online, whether it's opening an e-commerce shop and then benefiting Shopify and Stripe, or whether it's paying suppliers digitally because it was no longer easy to hand out a check or pick up a paper check. So digital payments became the only way, really. So we did not expect this to happen, but it did. And it really affected our growth in a positive way. So we did have customers that closed shop, and it was unfortunate. We tried to support many of them in different means that we have, but we saw this unexpected huge wave of growth of businesses that shifted their vendor payments online and started using Melio. And really the past two years, the growth was just unbelievable. Like we didn't expect that. And we worked very hard to make sure that our service, which became critical in small business owners' lives to maintain a functional operation, we made sure that we worked very hard to scale our operations, scale our technology, scale our payments infrastructure to make sure that we provide the best service that we can and keep small business in business, which is Milio's uh, mission statement since, since day one. And that was our focus for, for the past three years. And the second thing I would say is most of the Milio team joined during the pandemic or almost all of Milio's team. Like before the pandemic, we were 30 people. We're now 500. And like I said, just in in the past year, in 2021, we recruited like 350 people. Everybody are new and doing it over Zoom is not ideal. So I can't say that everything worked smoothly. It was just great to do everything remotely. No, I actually think it's far from ideal. I think for companies that are doing zero to one, meeting each other, not all the time, but some days a week is really important. When you do zero to one, a whiteboard in a room is a very important element. But when you're forming a new team, hanging out in a non-transactional way, which is, you know, Zoom is mostly transactional, is really important to create the right bonding, the right motivation. I know that I'm not saying anything unique, but I can definitely say that we felt that these things were missing. So we tried to compensate on it in various ways. We had like different best practices that we've developed around onboarding new employees remotely and trying to like during the times where it was a bit possible to travel, like make sure that we seize the opportunity and obviously did it in a responsible way and met in different places to be able to actually keep our employees safe and healthy. But we just had to hack our way into create a culture remotely. And now that travel is becoming easier, especially between Tel Aviv, New York, and Denver, we're seeing an acceleration in our velocity. We're seeing an acceleration in our quality. So things are better for us now. And just this week, we're hosting our U.S. leadership in Tel Aviv for the first time because now it's easy and it's possible and it's been unbelievably effective and and fun. So I'm hopeful that we can say that COVID is behind us. It doesn't seem like it in terms of various statistics, but I hope that we get back to a normal very soon, and we will be adopting the things that worked well in terms of working remotely and mix it up with meeting in person every week. So we'll have like a hybrid policy that will apply across across our sites.
1: Very cool. We
2: definitely envy up your leadership team. Hope you're not concerned that small businesses are going to go back to delivering checks now that the pandemic is out. Uh...
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think we've been asked this question quite often like, what will happen post pandemic? I think that in general, more and more small businesses understand the value that they can get from digital payment, whether it's efficiency, which is obvious, but now also around cash flow, which, is, which has been a challenge for small businesses forever. So I think that the momentum will, will continue. That's what we're seeing in terms of our performance. 100%. At Milia,
2: you took the role of CEO for the first time in your career. Maybe for the audience, it doesn't sound this way, but it is true. How have all your past experiences, either as a head of product or director of global payments, helped you in this new leadership role? And perhaps you can share some of the surprises you've experienced along the way.
0: Sure. When I was at PayPal, I was in a product role, but I had great managers and leaders that gave me and my team ownership across many aspects of the business. And so PayPal really made product managers, especially director of products, feel like CEOs, meaning that you're really owning the experience and functions end-to-end, even if they don't report to you directly, always, you're really touching everything from customer support to risk operations to, of course, product engineering, design, marketing, legal compliance, like you are able to touch every single function on your day and you feel ownership on the success of your business unit. So to me, I feel that in many ways, the the role that I'm playing now is is very similar to the role I played at PayPal. And that's why I'm so grateful for my time there. I think as opposed to uh, many entrepreneurs that always like joke about the, the corporate. I actually owe a lot of what I know to PayPal and eBay. And I've learned a lot about managing a global team. I learned a lot about setting the right processes in the right amount to make sure that execution is efficient, etc. So I'm very grateful for everything that I've learned there. And I think I'm applying a lot of these learnings in, in my role today. Secondly, I might be stating the obvious, but I think I, I am relatively a self-aware person. So I know what I'm good at. And I think I know what I'm not good at. And I make sure that the leaders that we're bringing to Milio can compensate on my weaknesses and more than compensate, have them, their superpowers are my weaknesses. So that's the only trick I know. But I think self-awareness and being very honest with yourself is like the basic thing in order to make sure that you build the right team. And that's why my disadvantages are maybe not felt as strongly because there are people that are compensating and more on on these. So that's another part of the story.
2: That's great. Bolstering the team with people that can complement you. It's definitely smart. So you're in Israel. You're from Israel. Milio was originated in Israel, but you serve overseas market. This is a very global company today. You have offices all over the world, and this is sometimes challenging for smaller teams that are just getting started. Could you tell us how you build such a global team? How do you get people around to work so closely together? And perhaps even touch on the fact that you chose Colorado as your West Coast operations. We often see teams go into Silicon Valley, but just want to hear, obviously, every company is unique and I'm curious to hear your thoughts here.
0: To me, it's mostly around access to talent. So in order to make decisions around where to form a team, which functions will be in each location... It's mostly around access to talent. We've built our R&D team here in Tel Aviv because we felt we have a very good competitive advantage to hire the best engineers, the best product managers, best data scientists, whether it's the founding team personal network from the Israeli army, or whether it's just our past gigs here in Israel, knowing a lot of people in the R&D space. That was an easy decision, and today R&D is mostly based in Tel Aviv. In terms of the business functions and the go-to-market functions, that was very clear from day one that this should not be in Tel Aviv because our market is the U.S. market. So again, an easy decision, our sales team, marketing teams, business development, of course, ops that need to be in the same time zone of our customers, all like very, very easy decisions. And I think in general, for many Israeli founded companies, this is the model for those that target the U.S., of course. And that was how we operated again at, at PayPal and at the Gift Project, my first company. So that's the playbook and Playbook works really well. In terms of the collaboration between the sites, we have different ceremonies and cadences to make sure that teams are working in a way that is not siloed. So that we build, for example, when we have, let's say uh, this year we have ten key initiatives that we've defined at the beginning of the year, I'm proud to say, beginning of January. When I was at PayPal, sometimes yearly planning would end in June, so the <laughs> next year's uh...
1: sounds like the U.S. government and our budget budget effort.
0: Yeah, so you know we define key initiatives and then we form teams, self-contained teams around each initiative, regardless of location or the specific site that they operate in, and so that just naturally creates these synergies, and we make sure that we align, you know, in terms of the incentives and KPIs, so. That happens naturally. I will say again, maybe not a very popular opinion. I think travel is important, not all the time, not every day, not every week, but at a certain rhythm, meeting people in person makes wonders in terms of the trust and relationship building. And so now, hopefully, we'll make sure to do this on a regular basis as well. We also have offices in each of these locations. And I can say that without setting a specific policy around work from home or come back to office, like we're waiting with our fixed policy around that still, we have people coming to the office at very high percentages just because they want to feel part of this journey, experience this culture, form this culture together, and meet their colleagues. And so see people coming around like three days a week in New York, like at very high percentages, and this hybrid model also making us stick together better as people meet each other in, in different locations. So that also helps. And, and we encourage that. Like, we like having people in, in our offices. And we also recognize that different people want flexibility. And that's that's something that we encourage as well.
2: 100% agree that uh, face-to-face interactions are so important to building trust and, and culture.
1: So we'd love to ask you to look into the crystal ball for us, both for Milio and, and also for small businesses generally, given that we hope, like you, the Pandemic is moving into endemic phase around the world. You're probably seeing evidence of whether or not that's really true, given your vast small business customer base. How do you see the future for you know small businesses? You mentioned they're going to get more digital. They're not going to go back to sending checks to their suppliers for sure. And then how does that affect your future as well as a company?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I think we as a B2B payments company we realize that some fundamentals will never change and are independent to whether there's a pandemic or we're post-pandemic. I'll give you an example. Small businesses care about cash flow. They always care about cash flow and they will continue to care about cash flow. So business buyers will always want to pay as late as possible and business suppliers will always want to get paid as fast as possible. So that's always going to be true. The value proposition that Media offers is very much aligned with these fundamental principles around cash flow, around efficiency, around time-saving. Our value proposition is pretty simple. It's maximizing cash flow and minimizing busy work. These are two value propositions that are timeless. Small business owners are super busy always, and they're always mindful of cash flow. I think that as long as the value proposition that we offer continues to resonate with our small business owners and the friction will be low, and that's what we aim with our Venmo-like simplicity, then the value friction ratio would be good enough for businesses to transition from paper checks to a digital solution. There's a saying that we, we keep using internally here, if the value isn't clear, the price will always be too high. So I think for accounts payable automation solutions, they offer automation, and when automation is not a clear enough value proposition. When the value is not clear, the price or friction will always be too high. When the value proposition is cash flow, the shift that small business owners need to do, and it is a big shift from something that they are very used to, like paper checks or the bank's bill pay, to the new media experience, this shift has some cost. It's not even fees. It's just the transition from something that you're so used to, like paper checks, to a new digital experience when the value proposition is strong enough, then small business owners will continue to make the shift and will also make sure to make that shift as easy as possible. So we're also working on both decreasing friction and increasing value.
1: Love that. And by the way, I wrote it down. If the value isn't clear, the price will always be too high. Many of our companies across different sectors, whether they're selling in fintech to B2B or they're in software infrastructure, they struggle with pricing that's a great way to think about how to make sure you're pricing the right way.
0: Definitely. You know, we always say like, I think m- many times companies look at one side of the equation. So for example, there's a saying a uh, product manager can say, no one will go through a hundred page registration process. hundred pages is a lot. And the counter argument is, but what if they get a million dollars after these hundred pages? I think the would be a hundred percent. So it's always a matter of ratio between the value you get or the speed to benefit, and the value you get and the friction you need to go through or the cost that you need to pay, it's always about the ratio. It's never about one side of the equation.
1: Love it. Okay, Matan, we're entering the speed round part of this podcast. So you're on the hot seat. We're going to ask you some tough questions and just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, the first one, you mentioned the GIFS project, your prior company, which you co-founded in 2009. It was a social e-commerce site that gave groups of people the ability to chip in and buy a gift together for a mutual friend or a colleague or a family member. While you're working at the Gifts Project, what was the coolest gift that you either gave or received through the platform? Wow,
0: that's such a great question. It was a toaster that can poach eggs while making the toasts. That was our first gift. I remember exactly the product. I don't know if it's available today, but... The toaster that poaches your eggs in parallel—it's more modern technology than blockchain. I feel like this is like so this is like new
1: era toasters. That's like toaster chain. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Talk about a clear value proposition.
2: <laughs> what advice would you give to Matan of 2018 just before he started Milia?
1: The advice is
0: another phrase that that we now we use but haven't used maybe enough in the first phases, which is. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is something that, to me, is the essence of successful product execution and overall execution. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I think when we started, we made the mistake of aspiring to do a full suite of services. It's a mistake that we fixed pretty fast, but I think if I would give myself this advice, we we could have saved... A few months in the beginning and get to the point even quicker. That's a good advice. Oh, by the way, that's an advice I would give myself today. I think it's an advice you constantly need to give yourself <laughs> because you keep making the same mistake again and again. Really, the
1: main thing is to keep the main thing, the main Of Love that. You work with a lot of cool small businesses, I'm sure. Tell us about one that customer of yours that you've either frequented or that you like or that you think is pretty cool.
0: Oh, wow. Well, there are really plenty without sharing their name. But the one thing that is very exciting to me personally is just walking around the streets of Manhattan. And there are many, many, many Emilio small businesses, Emilio customers in Manhattan. And so to me, walking to a restaurant, and I just did that a couple of weeks ago in Brooklyn and it was an amazing restaurant and you know i just walked in i knew that there are customers we we try to always eat and drink at our customers places as much as as we can so i walked in i didn't say anything of course i just you know i was hungry i didn't plan on asking for recognition or anything like that but the two owners husband and wife they recognized me and the, the team i was with and they just hugged us they came to us and hugged us and That is something that is very refreshing after two years of COVID. And in general, their initial reaction was so powerful. They were telling us how they're seeing their kids more because of Milio. And, you know, it was just an incredible moment. So I don't know. That's just a recent interaction that that happened to us. That's exactly why we started the company. So, you know, seeing this and feeling it is just the best thing in the
1: world. So you got a good meal and some hugs. That's fantastic.
0: (laughs) And and free shots if I need to be. Free free shots. That also happened.
2: Last question. We hear you're
0: a big sports
2: fan. Who's the best professional athlete in the world?
0: Well, I'm a huge, huge fan of Roger Federer, tennis player, of course. There are a few other athletes that I really admire, but Roger is probably uh, the one I admire most for various reasons, beyond the fact that he's just an incredible athlete with incredible achievements. His style is the style that I aspire for our company's culture actually, because Roger Federer has this style of looking effortless. He's like never sweating. He's always at the right place. He's not like running like Nadal to everywhere and he's like in this crazy shape. No, Federer is actually never sweats, he's very elegant. And being effortless or looking effortless is probably the highest level of execution. Because it means that you're so accurate in terms of what you do, and you do it so well that you're not making one inefficient move. And when you're so accurate, that you really you don't need to run so much. You can actually do things in a very balanced, stoic, and disciplined way without sweating. I have no problem sweating and working hard, but it's just unbelievable this level of execution. And I wish our teams. Would be as accurate and as efficient as, as Roger is, and we're working together.
1: That's so cool. Orin knows I'm I played a lot of tennis growing up and share your enthusiasm and affection for Federer and his game. I also think it's really cool that he and Nadal have developed probably the two best players, I guess with Djokovic, maybe the three best players ever to walk the face of the earth. And those two guys have a ton of respect for each other. I heard a clip. They said, Who's the player you hate playing most? And he said, Oh, Rafael Nadal. And then he said, Who's the player you respect playing the most? And he said, Rafael Nadal. So it's a real yin and yang. Amazing. Anyway, Matan, this has been an incredible conversation. Tons to learn from your experiences leading up to and, and now growing Milio into a very exciting company. We look forward to more great news and great things to come for the company and yourself. And really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us here today after a Real Talk. Thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. Our theme music is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across social internet, enterprise tech, and smart tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $9.2 billion in capital across the US, Canada, China, Southeast Asia, India, Latin America, and Israel. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Big Commerce, Grab, Hashicorp, Open door, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, Zendesk and many more. The firm has offices in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Singapore, Shanghai and Beijing. Learn more at ggvC.com or follow us on Twitter at@, at GGv Capital.